0: Welcome to the Brand Design Masters Podcast, the show dedicated to helping you build the skills you need to design bulletproof brands for yourself, your business, and for the clients and customers you serve. And now, here's Philip. Hey,
1: everybody. Welcome back to the Brand Design Masters Podcast. I'm super excited because today I'm here with Daniel Clydesdale and Ailey Dunsire, who co-founded Clyde an agency in Scotland with additional offices in California to build brands with the ultimate mission of making the world a more beautiful place. Their main focus is creating interactive websites and building impactful brands for clients like Wired Media Solutions, Athlab, Elido, and DF Communications. Daniel and Ailey came on my radar when they made a foray into YouTube with their channel Design Break, which has, in my humble opinion, incredible potential. So you could definitely go check that out. And with that, I welcome Daniel and Ailey.
2: Awesome. Hi. Yeah. Thank you very much for, uh, for having us on the podcast. Thank yeah. you.
0: Thanks for having
1: us, Phil. Absolutely. So why don't we start off and just share a little bit tidbit about your personal lives. You're a pair, right? Um, and so to help viewers and listeners get to know you better.
2: Uh, sure. Yeah. So we um, we founded Dun in twenty eighteen. Um, Ali and I just really wanted to uh, do our own thing and be able to explore uh, our creativity a bit more than where we were at, at a previous agency and, and do our own thing. And we wanted to branch internationally, which I think was a big uh, a big thing. We wanted to work with clients who had a, a bigger vision and and just kind of grow that um, that side of it.
0: Yeah, so we were kind of working together in an agency. We actually met before we worked together. Um, so, yeah, we've been working together quite a long time, and it's kind of a weird balance because um, we work and we live together. And we're actually married, but um, it's it's actually a good balance, I think, because we can be so brutally honest with each other's design. We can give each other, like, really good feedback. So it actually works quite well. So we've not, we've not fallen out yet. So... <laughs>
2: Yeah, so so were ago. you
1: an agent were you an agency romance that had to keep it quiet for a while and then you kind of well, we, yeah, actually, really. we well,
2: actually met
0: you, at a university so oh, <laughs> yeah okay we, uh,
2: yeah studying architecture um back in 2008 uh we met on the same course and then we actually both moved to study graphic design together as well at the same time so um yeah we've we kind of went through the whole journey together from start to finish. <laughs> And right out of
1: school, I mean, did you start your own agency to begin with, or did you work for another agency before that?
2: Uh, so, no, we did. We worked for, um, so we, so Ellie had um, a job at the tourism, agent, a tourism agency for Scotland. And I worked at a, a firm that actually had an agency as a department. So it wasn't a great setup, but it was, it was, it was really valuable for teaching the experience of, um, you know, managing projects and clients and not having the freelance freelance is very scary obviously if you're just new into it so luckily there was a safety net of a salary there and things so we then eventually both started working for that department and we wanted to really take it further which is why we uh started dunkline
1: oh interesting and so how long did you work in the agency in those various capacities before you started your own thing
0: um, so we were working together for I think about three years before we started Dunclyde and then separate from that um, at, at different agencies, it was just about maybe a year or two years um, before we, so we had about five years of industry experience before we founded Dunclyde. So we had a little bit of background.
1: Okay. And that's where you were like got your feet wet in terms of the business side of it and all that sort of stuff.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And started realizing it's kind of a whole different ballgame, like running your own show. <laughs> yeah, absolutely.
1: And so, right when you started off, what was that like? Who were your first clients? How did you get them?
2: Uh, yeah, so it was. Um, we started. So when we started Dunclyde, we actually did have some clients. We were very, very lucky in that sense that when we when we moved out of the department, we were able to sort of amicably make a deal with the uh, the company that owned the department to take some clients with us. So we're really grateful for that. Ooh. But we wanted to, yeah, kind of reach out a little bit more. And it was it was tough, uh, but we we found. Through the the platform we were using, which is Webflow, it's kind of a web development platform. We uh, we found an audience uh, there, but that's also kind of what motivated us to branch out into other channels like YouTube and uh, Instagram, and using social media to uh, to market.
1: So you got some clients initially. You were able to take them, which is shocking to me. Very <laughs> that's very rare that that happens. And um, but then you started to build your client list through word of mouth from those clients or through content uh, marketing and your yeah. social activity?
0: Yeah, so it wasn't really, I don't think it was really word of mouth. It was just a little bit of word of mouth uh, marketing, but the the clients that we sort of started with were, I don't want to say small time, they were a little bit smaller than what we wanted to work with. We wanted to kind of work with bigger clients. And also, so all of those clients that we started on Clyde with were based in the UK. And obviously we were wanting to branch out um, to California. So. Kind of breaking into that market was like a new challenge that we kind of had to think about how we're going to approach it and how we're going to get clients there so that's kind of when we really started with the content marketing because we really wanted to find this was like before coronavirus so like video <laughs> meetings and stuff wasn't that super common doing business completely remotely wasn't was a bit of a scarier thing um before before covid made it a lot easier um so, yeah, yeah. so that's kind of why we started the YouTube channel. And we started posting on the blog a bit more um, just to get our faces out there and get known a bit more.
1: And so you, I mean, the UK, Ireland, Scotland, not a small market. So, I mean, why did you decide to, like, jump the pond right out of Scotland rather than kind of focusing on larger clients, many of whom are in the EU and UK? Why did you go to California?
2: Yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, that's a great question. Um, and we get asked that a lot. And I think we we decided that we really wanted to work in, in a, a creative hub. And um, you know, when, when you think about like kind of global creative hubs, it's, you know, people mentioned like London, Paris, Tokyo, New York, um, but the, in terms of the culture, we just really like the culture in California and Los Angeles being an also very creative, diverse um, location. We just, yeah, the, um, you know, it's just a great mix of culture. Um, it's a very large market as well. Um, and of course, if I didn't mention the weather, it'd be uh, I'd definitely be missing out a big point. But yeah, it's it's just a really great uh, package. We we kind of like the the culture there.
1: So, do you guys split your time between there, or do you have a separate
2: team out there, or how does that work? And um, yeah, so we're currently splitting our time. Um, we do have uh, Johnny. He's our um, like business development and sales. So he he is based uh, in Los Angeles, so he he's there kind of on the ground um, to to help kind of grow the roots there. But we, yeah, we've traveled back. We just came back. We actually almost spent, well, we did spend Christmas Day on a plane um, because we, uh, yeah, there was a whole debacle, but we were just over there um, just before Christmas time. So yeah, we're splitting our time from March this year. We're probably more likely to spend more time in the US um, on the ground there.
1: Well, understanding what happened in the U.S. during the holidays with train, plane travel, I have no idea, but I have a pretty good idea, actually, what you went through. <laughs> How long did it take you to get back home?
0: Um, yeah, so we were supposed to be flying out the day before Christmas Eve, and then we missed our flight because we couldn't get our test in time. Mm. Or it was a whole thing.
2: <laughs> we got a test and we just didn't get the, the, the provider flaked on us and didn't give us the results. So, yeah, we it was Christmas Eve before we flew and instead of going to Heathrow, we had to go New York first and then Heathrow and then to Scotland. Um, it, so we, we'd still actually made it for like lunchtime, Christmas day. So,
0: and we got, um, the, the meal on the plane was a Christmas dinner, which was really cool. It was actually quite <laughs> good as well. Which...
1: <laughs> so you, you have a, a business development person in California and you, um, so you obviously are most of your clients in the U S at this point.
0: They are now. Yeah. Numbers wise, we've maybe got more in the UK, but actual sort of the value of the clients more is in the US. Definitely.
1: So you do website work and I think you said primarily with Webflow. So when you're doing websites, interactive sites for clients, is that an ongoing sort of activity or is that kind of a one and done? You design the site and you leave. Do you get involved in the maintenance and the ongoing population of content within their websites?
2: Um, yeah, we do. Yeah, we have um, a great ongoing relationship. Some clients are more hands-on. So with them, it tends to be more of a, you know, we undertake the very technical elements of the build and then they are happy to manage it themselves. But we do offer maintenance and there are lots of clients we have uh, a good relationship with for ongoing support and some even on retainer where we do more, uh, you know, builds, more like build stuff. So they all they have to do is give us the words and the pictures and, and we'll do the rest to make it look good. So, what's a typical project look like for you? Is it um, is it do they're starting with a
1: clean slate? Are they starting with a website that you have to break down and redesign completely, or is there brand identity involved? What's that look like?
0: Yeah, there, it's a bit of a mix. So, some people come with they've got an old website that they need a new one, but a lot of our more recent projects have been they've got something they've maybe put together themselves really quickly to get off the ground, and then they're ready to sort of invest in a proper a proper website. Um, and that's when they come to us and a lot of the time they'll maybe have the same thing with branding where they've maybe got a logo on fiverr and they're ready to kind of just get the whole package um so so yeah they'll, we kind of start off with a strategy session with them where we kind of diagnose everything and ask all the questions and then we kind of take it from there and it's we try to work quite collaboratively so we we'll, um we won't sort of do the strategy session and go away and do the design in secret and then sort of present it to them we'll kind of try and like get them involved as much as we can in process um, as we're going along and involve the client.
1: So how do you, um, I understand why you do that sort of thing, but I also understand that there's challenges involved in that and that there's, you know, the pros and cons to the, um, you know, to the arm arm and arm kind of design process. One is that it can become very uh, kind of, I mean, in the beauty of the collaboration, the client gets to participate in the creative process, which it makes sign off a lot easier in the long run, right? The big reveals can go very badly, as we know. (laughs) And so, but on the other hand, when you work that way with clients, you are sometimes um, mired in their own personal aesthetics, which may not serve the strategy of the business. And the other is that they, you know, it can drag out the process. So how do you manage that, those two aspects of that that um that way of working
0: yeah it's, it's definitely a balance um sort of on both sides so with the we normally try to set up like milestones where so we don't we don't sort of have the client involved sort of every single stage of the process we'll have sort of milestones where we get feedback and also for our when we have the strategy session that's kind of when we have like a sort of deep dive into what the what our client thinks the problem is and then we'll sort of diagnose what we think the next steps are and what what the strategy should be and then we sort of chat to them about that and make sure we're all on the right page and then we can use that sort of to go back to throughout the project. So if it starts to go off track from that a little bit and personal interest or personal taste start to get involved with the design or the aesthetics, we can go back to the strategy and say this is what we think your audience wants for your website. Um, And we kind of talked about this and this is kind of what we came to. And that can kind of help steer the project back in line because we, we always try to keep their audience in mind and remind the client that it's not their taste. It's their audience taste that we're kind of building to, which is kind of sometimes hard to explain, but normally it helps clients sort of understand where we're going with the design.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So do you guys, um, I mean, you do interactive websites focusing on Webflow do you niche down in terms of industry or category? Or are you all over the map? Does it really matter to you?
2: Um, yeah, we've so in recent times we now uh, with our outreach we we look to work with um, the two main industries so that the tech sector and um, like tech startups and the architecture uh, and engineering space because just because we have an architecture background it's, a, it's an area we have a maybe greater than most understanding in in terms of agencies and um we have actually quite a lot of experience with tech startups which is why we've looked at that space they're they're usually looking for um you know a nimble agency that can uh you know put something together quickly work on their feet uh, and develop the strategy i think a lot of the time uh, these younger companies have uh in terms of creative the very hastily developed strategy that needs you know more work put in so so we're a good fit there because we we have that strategy session that we will go through the client with and and build that out so those are the two we but in terms of our previous clients we have worked with clients from all over because we've through referrals and um, word of mouth referral has come into it and yeah the, that just gives you all sorts of uh, all sorts
1: this episode of the brand design masters podcast is sponsored by bring your own laptop byol.me is a top-tier Adobe application video training website featuring Daniel Scott. Daniel's a certified Adobe trainer and keynote speaker at the Adobe Max conference every year. At byol.me forward slash philip, you can learn everything from the basics to advanced aspects of your favorite Adobe applications, all for one low monthly subscription fee. Visit byol.me forward slash philip p-h-i-l-i-p. Again, that's b-y-o-l dot m-e forward slash philip. I just know you're going to be amazed at Bring Your Own Laptops courses. So I've found that tech startups um, tend to be very product focused and and, uh, functionality focused, not always very strategically brand focused or customer focused. Have you found that to be the case? And if so, how do you how do you bring them back to the foundations of strategy?
2: Yeah, that's it's a that's a really great question. Um, I it, it, and I absolutely agree with you. They're definitely very product focused. I think. Um, the i always talk about the features versus benefits almost all the startups that i work with are very very heavily on the features because that's what the engineering team gives them or that's what they're talking about like how can we develop more features and what's the feature list um but if you don't explain the benefits of the features then you're not really talking to the audience so that's kind of where i start with a lot of um you know if i'm reviewing an existing site or if they have some copy or some ideas for marketing, we'll talk about how do we communicate the benefits. And I, I also love the seven words, um, like proposition. So I'll always tell a client, you know, the heroes section needs to have like a, sum up what you are giving your client in seven words. Um, and Cause it, it almost always works. And even if we don't end up using just the seven words to make that, to force them to only use seven words helps to mm. build, you know, the story that the rest of the site should tell. So what's it
1: like working with your spouse in an agency? I don't know, shall I let you um
0: yeah, no, it's um I think it, like I said earlier, it's a good balance of um being able to be brutally honest with the design feedback when we're bouncing ideas off of each other and um a lot of people we speak to are kind of like shocked. They're just like they, they can't imagine working next to their spouse twenty four seven, especially when with that uh, lockdown and like sort of working from home becoming a thing. And we just ended up being on each other's feet 24 um, seven. But I think we still managed to make it work and we're still, we're still doing projects. We're still so. married. You're still yeah. sitting next to each <laughs> yeah. other. Yeah, so perfect. how do you,
1: how do you find, um, and you know, I'm, I know I'm moving into a foray of like personal authenticity, but how do you find time away from each other? Like how do you enforce or, you know, find that personal time?
2: Yeah, I think so we have a couple of like, you know, things we don't. So Ailey's like really into fitness. And so uh, she goes to the gym regularly. Uh, I don't. So, so, so Ailey, ha- Ailey. I'm Ailey really like, into sloth. <laughs> <laughs> We're just like actually the two extremes in the fitness uh, sense. So um, yeah, that? it's when when in the height of lockdown, it was like, realizing like, has it been two days since I've gone outside? Yeah. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so Aileen is always out for uh, for walks with our, uh, with their dog and and just, yeah, and kind of more uh, into fitness. I'm really into cars and things, and I used to do more with cars, like it's uh, a bigger hobby. But um, yeah, we have, you know, different things that we, we do. I think that gives us the balance. But I actually think um, one of the things I think when people mention that, uh, you know, if you're married to someone and you think you couldn't, like, spend you know a week together with them all the time then you need the time away from them maybe like that's just a different type of relationship I'm not I'm not here to judge but like (laughs) I, I think we enjoy our company I think once you get to the point we're at you know you can comfortably sit with someone and not have to speak to them all the time and just get on with what you're doing and it's you know so yeah I think it's working well
0: yeah I think having the balance as well of having like a dedicated workspace and having like like setting work boundaries of having work time and leisure time is really useful as well
1: Have you been able to do? I mean, I have struggles with that, like especially. And I have an office away from my home because I I needed to create that psychological distance between work and home life. And now with COVID, I mean, lots of people are seriously struggling with that difference and that break between workhead and homehead. How how have you guys begun to or, or started to? Um, I'm sorry, I'm getting a little audio feedback. Um, How have you guys managed that?
0: Yeah, it's quite, it is really difficult, and Mm -hmm. especially when COVID happened. And so we were, we already were sort of working from home before. We've got a room um, that's kind of an office that we set up to be the studio. So we were already working from home anyway before COVID happened. So we kind of had that boundary. We had the workspace and we had leisure spaces as well. but not being able to sort of go out and do leisure activities because of lockdowns and stuff made it really hard. And also we've got the UK time zone so and the US time zone. So the workday here finishes at 5 and that's 9 a.m. in L.A. And then you've got sort of the L.A. time. So it's been quite difficult to sort of prioritize having like actually having leisure time. Um, but it's also something that's really important. So we try to at least block out some evenings and weekends that we definitely we just schedule it and we don't work at all.
1: So how do you manage that, that time difference between you and L.A.? And because you are almost exactly opposite each other, like I have a team in the Philippines and we're exactly opposite each other and it's tough. So a lot of times they, I mean, because a lot of teams in the Philippines work on a night shift, essentially, so they can work with their okay. clients directly. How do you guys manage that with your team in California? Where do you, where do you interact and what times do you interact?
2: Yeah, so r- right at the end of our day, um, we meet with Johnny uh, for like a like, kind of morning catch up. So, but for us, it's the very end of the day, so we're just there, kind of like exhausted, and he's all like fresh faced and ready to go. Um, so, yeah, so we right that's when we have the kind of crossover. And honestly, if we are being candid, like we have been working like most of the evenings just now, and it's my in my head, I kind of think it, we're in when we were in the lockdown and we couldn't really do anything else it's easy to just justify it and say well what else would I be doing anyway you know like no one can go out and you know I can't go for drinks at a bar with friends or I can't you know because so I might as well just sit in here and 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 just get some more work done and that's probably been quite bad because (laughs) I'm still doing it now even though things have opened back up so I think it's going to be a healthier split when we're in Los Angeles because we won't be able to work on the UK time so it'll be so it'll be in the middle of the night so Hopefully that helps, but it's definitely been really tough. I think we are kind of working two shifts back to back. We have like, you know, our, our dinner meal quite early at the end of the UK workday, and then we're working and we've had meetings sometimes in a week, we'll have more meetings in an evening than we'd have during the day because right. more, we've got more clients that are US based and we just kind of work around their time zone.
1: So let's take a pivot a little bit and talk about how you've promoted or built your own brand. So. As I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, you started a YouTube channel and you've been populating a lot of content there. Let's go before that. When you were deciding to market your business through social, how did you go about choosing the social platforms that you were gonna dive deep into and what was the criteria around your decision-making there?
0: Yeah, I think, so this is something that we've kind of always struggled with and I think it's quite, it still is quite a lot of back and forth and sort of trying to work out what platform we should post more on. So I think when we started out, we kind of just went with the standard ones, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram. And then we kind of went through a more, like kind of like a discovery process of trying to work out where our clients are and where where's the best fit for us. So obviously LinkedIn, each platform has like its own sort of use for like LinkedIn. You might post sort of more text posts. And obviously Instagram is just sort of images where we'd maybe just share like portfolio examples. Um, But I think the whole way through we've, not not posted as much as we'd like to and it's always something that we're trying to do more of
1: and so you but then you youtube came into the mix too right so you started with linkedin facebook instagram you dabbled yeah. in those did you drop any have you tried to be everywhere all the time or how's that working
2: yeah i think we we've kind of con i say drop consciously dropped out <laughs> of facebook we're, we're still not really keeping up with instagram as much as we should but It was kind of suggested um, to us by a a peer that um, Instagram is very uh, focused on, you know, agencies post on Instagram. It's always the glossy, finished piece. It's always the, you know, like the portfolio work. And it's great for that, um, you know, for posting that kind of content. But what we should really be doing is um, getting our face out there so that people can kind of meet us and get to know like our personality. And I guess that kind of plays into the personal brand thing, although we're a a duo. so that, that was what motivated the move to, to or move, but the, to create YouTube content, we, we wanted people to meet us and we felt like we kind of had um, some in, insight we could share, just even if it's less about us, you know, be, being like, he, we, here's all our knowledge because, you know, we're still learning, but just to take people on that learning journey as well with us and just um, have a sort of story that we're telling along the way is, is what we were looking to do
0: yeah definitely i think the whole like starting a business is like really scary and i feel like it might be a little bit more accepted in the us i think a lot of the time in the uk people get their nine-to-five job and that's kind of what people do and starting a business is a lot of a more sort of different thing to do here um and it was a really scary process and we kind of went through that huge learning curve and um, when we started Dunclyde and it kind of felt like we wanted to share some of the experience that we went through with people who might be trying to do the same thing.
1: And so you were sharing about for other creative professionals and people who are starting their own businesses, but then by the same token, you were trying to put yourselves out there, what you know, how much you know, and let people, potentially clients, get to know you. So when it came to developing your content on YouTube, how did you split between those two um, audiences to a certain extent, between designers and creatives that you wanted to help in their journey and, potential clients that you wanted to impress with how much you knew?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I think the truthful answer is that at first we didn't really uh, consciously split. We we thought about a few things that we um, we just wanted to talk about. And we thought if we just talk about these things, And, you know, we thought we we, we tried to do the in-depth dive where we're like, well, will marketers watch this? Marketers at firms, will they be, you know, what kind of content do they want to see? Do they want to see the latest design trends information? Or are we only going to be talking to other designers who will be the other audience about, you know, where we're sharing our process and things? Um, And we just decided that we're just going to basically just talk about what we would want to talk about. And naturally that will you know reach the kind of people who are also interested in what we what we have to say so as you mentioned at the start we have done videos on a quite a few different topics you know different things like one from where we're like comparing the the mice we use which will be exclusively really based at designers and then other ones where it's like webflow tutorials where i'm kind of showing some t- tricks i've learned in webflow along the way Um from that to the, the process of starting the business and and how things have gone so it, it's definitely been quite a all over the place, but we just thought we'd create almost like the build it and they will come sort of mentality. We just wanted to talk about what we wanted to talk about. And um, yeah, with with kind of the idea that the audience would uh, relate to that if they're the right kind of person.
1: And so what have you learned in that process? What did you learn in your putting out? How many videos do you have out now?
0: Oh, how many
1: do
2: we have? I don't know. know. <laughs> yeah. I'll need to I'll need to double check, but yeah, we um, I think so. We're, what we're we're struggling with is, um, and I'm sure that everyone who's done YouTube for any kind of time would have the same thing: is that you you see the videos that perform well, and you think, oh, I should do another one on a similar topic, but it's not really you know I did that video and I'm I'm done with that topic, and so you have this like, am I just creating noise by making another one, or will I will I just stick to what I want to do, which is this next video that might get two views? So. Um, the, we definitely noticed that things like the webflow content was getting a lot of views. Ailey did some like uh, on the best project management tools, and it got loads and loads of views as well. So I think it's the, the tough thing is sticking to your guns and doing the content that you want to, and just like finding your voice and telling your story. And rather than being swayed too much by the numbers, it's it's difficult. Yeah, though. I
0: feel like doing the doing the informational ones on like platforms. Gets a lot of traction. Lots of people are on YouTube to find that information, but that's so it would be easy to keep doing that because it's getting more views. But there's I think I feel like there's always going to be people who can maybe share a bit more value because they're more they're more expert in that sort of that one platform. Um, whereas we're kind of taking it from a more sort of running an agency point of view where you're using this as a tool, um, and we kind of just want to share our story and maybe dip a little bit into the tools that we use, but not sort of do a really deep dive on how to use all the features of that tool.
1: Now, chances are many of you listening might have first come across me via my YouTube channel. Building my presence on YouTube has done more to build my personal brand than any other platform. So I want to share with you the one resource that was critical in growing my channel. It's a YouTube plugin called TubeBuddy. TubeBuddy is a freemium browser extension that you use to manage and optimize your YouTube channel videos. It saves a massive amount of time doing the mundane tasks like adding cards and managing your video descriptions. But it also provides incredible value through its video analytics, showing you data about your competitors' videos that's absolutely invisible without it. It also helps with adding metadata to your videos so they show up better in search. If you want to take your YouTube work to the next level, you have to get TubeBuddy. You can support this podcast by signing up through our affiliate link. Just go to TubeBuddy.com slash Philip Van Dusen. It's easy to remember. Just type in TubeBuddy.com slash Philip Van Dusen to check it out. By adding TubeBuddy to your video workflow, I guarantee you your channel will grow much, much faster. Just go to TubeBuddy.com slash Philip Van Dusen and sign up for TubeBuddy today. At the beginning, I you know, be, before we hit record, I was sharing with you how I know I feel a struggle of YouTube content development, specifically at the beginning. And a lot of people want to start, you know, an Instagram channel and they start posting a whole bunch of stuff, or they start a YouTube channel and they'll or a podcast and they'll out of the gate they'll have a lot of energy, a lot of content. But at the beginning, you start to realize that wow, my audience isn't that big, or I'm not getting that many views and that many listens or downloads. And it's disheartening and it, you have to kind of plow through that speaking to an empty room kind of phase where you're building up a library of content and slowly gaining inertia and experience on how to do it. How do you, um, how have you guys continued to plow through that wall in the beginning as your YouTube channel is in its infancy, so to speak?
0: Yeah, it is, it is really tough. And I feel like we're still a bit in that stage. The the channel's still like really small and we've actually been quite busy uh with projects that we've kind of let posting new content sort of fall a little bit which is something that we want to keep up but actually that period that we slowed down a little bit on the content we were still getting like seeing people subscribe and comment on our stuff which is actually really encouraging because we're we're not actively posting or we haven't for a couple of weeks and people are still watching our stuff and subscribing and which is the, like really encouraging even if it's small numbers it's
2: yeah. yeah. I think what kept us going through it, what, though, was the the schedule. So we, we just set a really strict schedule. And because I think it's very easy to get busy with client work and then say, I don't have time to make a video this week or, or or whatever. So we set a really strict thing on Thursdays. At lunchtime, we would stop. It didn't matter what we were doing. We would stop. We'd kind of put up the lights and everything. And we would do a video and we'd take turns. And each each week we'd do a video. And, or we'd even prepare multiple and, and record them. But Um, by being super, super strict and every, just saying every Thursday, I will take that afternoon and I will, you know, record a video that I think that got us through some of the days when we were thinking like, is this, you know, are we even doing the right thing here? Is there, you know, is the time better spent, but just, and it's actually, once you do it, like so many times you get into the rhythm of it, it's not that difficult. Um, because we have a lot of ideas for content. We're just, um, it's just the time to kind of write out what you want to say. You put the points together and then speak to the camera. So eventually once you get over it, that, as long as you have the time, the timetable. Yeah,
0: I definitely think having the schedule set in stone helps. It sort of took away the the thought of like, no one's going to see this because we we were just doing it anyway, whether someone was going to watch it or not. Um, so just having that sort of routine where we stuck to it every Thursday afternoon, we're going to create yeah. a video to post out. Um, it almost took that whole question out of it there were some days where you're sitting down you you're not really in the mood and you just feel like you're you feel a bit like you're faking it and you're like no one's going to watch this anyway but um if if i always felt like even if you feel like that if you force yourself to do it you don't have to post it in the end but usually as you're going through the process you'd realize actually what the hell yeah, yeah
2: Yeah, I really like the idea that you, the, the goal isn't to have a video and get 20,000 views. The goal is just to post a video. And like, so if you just make it that super simple goal of record something, post something, um, gets you through.
1: Yeah, I, I took the same approach when I did my YouTube channel. I said to myself, if I'm gonna start a channel, I'm gonna post a video a week for a year. And I'm gonna treat it like a job. And if I don't post on Monday, I lose my job. And sometimes the videos were crap. Sometimes the videos were great. After about three months, I figured out I better start batching and doing a month at a time, you know, so you learn those lessons along the way. And then after a year, I was like, okay, I'm really – I mean, I started to feel guilty if I didn't post on Monday. It was like I'd I'd instilled myself with this habit that I had gotten comfortable with. And so I just kept going, you know. And so I think your approach to that is very, very smart. And that's probably why you've been able to put out such great content – in such a, you know, short period of time. The one thing I have to say though, is that you guys have two people. <laughs> so yeah. you can also say, Ailey, you do this week, <laughs> you know, so yeah. you're like, you a number of videos you guys both do together, which I love because it's kind of like, it's like back and forth kind of talk show type of thing. But then also you do individual ones. How do you decide, how do you decide whether it's a, a couple's one or a individual one?
0: I think it, yeah it depends on the content so we we have a list of like ideas we have like daniel's list a list and then we have like a joint list so i think it's the start we try to do alternating weeks so like i do a week daniel will do a week and then maybe we do like a a co-op sort of week um but it kind of just depends so i think we we do do sort of alternating weeks me and daniel um and then if there's if we've got a good idea for something we think will be fun to do together we'll do that
2: Basically, if it's something we can argue about, then we'll put it on the joint <laughs> list. If we agree about it, then there's not really much point. us both being on the video. So it just becomes one person's one person video. But um, yeah. How do you keep the uh, how do you
1: develop and keep that ideas list, that ideas list for content? Because, you know, you use them up. So you always have to be adding some. So how's that? What's that process look like for you?
0: Yeah, it's, it's just a sort of a Monday board. And we just add to it. If we ever have an idea for sitting at our desk, I'll just like add it in um and then we've kind of got that list and it kind of always grows um some ideas you write down and it seems really good at the time and then you go back to it and you're like i don't even know why i thought that was a good idea <laughs>
2: yeah but
0: um yeah there's always something in there you can pick out i think
2: yeah i think i see it's, um I, I do i watch quite a bit of youtube um, like, you know like creators and i think i see a video there and it's it's a totally different thing but what they're talking about could be applied to design, or could be, you know, it's or it's something I've experienced. And I think, you know, every people maybe underestimate the um, like the value of their everyday experience. Sometimes, you know, it's kind of like you see how many things they've made reality TV shows about. Sometimes it blows my mind <laughs> that they make entertaining content out of some of these things. But um, so, in the same way, I, I've now become a little bit more conscious through through making the list and looking back at it. Now, when something happens in day to day like if I have an interaction with a client or something, I'm more tuned into picking up and being like, oh, that's something that would be good to make a video about. Or um, And the same thing happens now with Webflow, which is I'll, I'll be doing something, I'll be really stuck, and then I'll just like have an idea on how to fix it, I'll fix it, and then I'll put it in the list for an idea to make a, a video about how I fixed it. So,
1: you know, people from the outside look at you guys and say, man, they really sussed it out. They have a successful agency, they're international, they're doing really well, and... So, but everybody has struggles, like I know you guys hit walls, had hurdles. What were some of the difficulties that you had to overcome in building your agency?
2: Uh, I think I, I think the first struggle that I, I just remember, I'm never gonna forget the, the thought of like, like, the first thought, how do you just get more clients? Um, and we went through a long uh, phase of watching um, lots of, including lots of your uh, original videos um, from way back, you know, years ago, on how to get more clients and we it was kind of the i think one of the the points you mentioned was kind of find a space that you're really comfortable in and just kind of build in in that space try that and really be the master in that market and i just didn't know where that was for us like where is that market and um it's so that that struggle i i I really will understand that struggle from agencies of where do you find the good like good clients how do you build those clients and um I only really have like kind of the answer for us. We, we tried lots of different things. So we, we tried Google ads. We even did a landing page and um, that didn't really do anything. Uh, and, and again, I do, we didn't maybe invest enough um, into it, but we didn't really do anything for us. We, we tried um, different, like we've, we've done more like LinkedIn post things, but really we, we've we become a Webflow expert. So we're accredited as Webflow now. And that really is the biggest source of our uh, like kind of leads. So. The people contact us through their through webflow experts, and we're on mm. Clutch, listed as a um, an agency on Clutch, and we've got good reviews on there. So, but it's it is tough, and I feel like we're not at that point yet where I can say we have enough streams that we'll always have a you know a, a great pool of clients because there's always more webflow experts being added to the list, which is diluting like the the leads. So so don't get accredited as a webflow expert. <laughs> <if> you... <laughs> <laughs> it's
1: a bad idea. Um, don't go there.
2: Yeah 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 <laughs> definitely. Not. But um, it's been. That's been t- tough and I think I would I'm still not comfortable that we have enough sources to you know of of leads and that's that's the struggle really.
0: yeah I think I think the whole where to post and sort of where to put content out and where to get clients from is' always like an evolving process and you kind of have to find the right fit for you and it involves a lot of experimentation and always kind of like adapting and sort of listening to what's what's working and what's not working and like being flexible to change if if circumstances change.
1: Okay, so Daniel, Ailey, it's been awesome talking to you on the show today. I, I didn't hip you to this, but I'm doing a new segment at the end of my show, and it's called The Rapid Fire 10, and it's 10 okay. questions with one-word answers. So because there's two of you, I was thinking, how am I going to handle this? Either <laughs> I'll do it twice with each of you, but I figure what we'll do is I'll ask you the question, and then Daniel, then Ailey, you have to answer right after each other, okay? Okay. All right, question number one, what's your spirit animal? Oh. Is that a dog? I don't know. <laughs> Jeez, I don't know. I'm
0: yeah. gonna say a rabbit.
1: Okay. Morning person or night person? Night person. Morning. Beach or mountains? Oh. Mountains. Beach. <laughs> dog person or cat person? Cat person.
0: <laughs> We've got a dog and a cat. So uh, Daniel said cat, so I'm gonna say dog.
1: <laughs> okay. What's your secret talent that most people
2: don't know that you can do? Mm-hmm. Most people don't know. I can play violin.
0: (laughs) Uh, I'm gonna say cleaning because I really (laughs) love to clean.
1: (laughs) What's your favorite song of all time?
2: Um, Oh, that's a difficult one. Of all time, it's uh, "What's My Age Again" by Blink One Eight Two.
0: What's the What's the Phil Collins one with the drums? (laughs) Uh, In the air tonight. In the air tonight.
2: Okay. It's good if you know the name of your own favorite <laughs> yeah. song. I'm
0: really glad it's named.
2: <laughs> favorite place in the world? Um, probably like the mountains up by the Griffith Observatory.
1: Okay.
0: I'm going to say the same thing.
1: <laughs> okay. Wow, you agree on one thing. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, I'm like totally instigating here. What's the one thing you would love to master?
2: Uh, JavaScript. I think, I, I know this sounds like really specific and not businessy, but I just, yeah, I'd love to learn, uh, properly learn how to do JavaScript because HTML, CSS, I can have a grip on, but JavaScript has escaped me so far. Really?
0: And, uh, dancing it's something I really can't do, but I'd really love to be able to do.
2: Okay. Um, who's your hero? Oof. Um, I don't know. I wanted to say someone, the fictional, like Tony Stark, uh, <laughs> But he's got some issues. Um, I don't know. That's a tough one. Ailey? Uh,
0: I'm going to t- say Taylor Swift.
1: Okay. All right. Coming back to you, Daniel. Uh, <laughs> you can say Tony Stark because she's... So I'm going to say Tony Stark. All yep. Right. All right. Um, and finally, what's the one thing you would tell your 20-year-old self?
2: Uh,
0: that's a really good question. Yeah,
2: that is a really good question. I would probably say, um, like... Uh, don't panic and just keep at it as uh, well I, I think because I, I know that when i was 20 i definitely panicked a lot about what i was going to do and i was very stressed that nothing was going to work out and um yeah
0: yeah i would say that's kind of the
1: scottish equivalent of you know um keep calm and carry on right yeah <laughs> yeah, good
0: yeah. Point, yeah. <laughs> sure uh, i would say um don't don't care what other people think and just sort of do you
1: Hmm. do you Okay. And this is a big one, which I always ask everybody is that, do you have a manifesto or some sort of personal mantra that you try to live your lives by?
2: Um, Yeah. So I think uh, like one, something I really love is uh, a quote um, from Charles Swindon, which is uh, the difference between something good and something great is attention to detail. Uh, And I think I just, I really like, you know, I'm quite detail orientated and I pay attention to the, you know, to the small stuff. And I think that's what makes um, that's, one of the areas we stand out as an agency so that's maybe something
0: yeah definitely attention to detail i think mine would be question everything so i think that comes into like starting the business like if we didn't question the question the 95 norm we wouldn't have started the business and even sort of with dealing with clients like if you don't ask questions and you just sort of order take you're going to just kind of produce mediocre results so definitely question everything
1: awesome well, thank you guys for talking to us. If people want to get in touch with Dunclyde, what's the best way to do that?
2: Um, yeah, so you can visit our website at dunclyde.com or you can email us at hello at dunclyde.com. Dunclyde is D U N C L Y D E.com. Um,
0: and we're on YouTube. It's a Design Break.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Everyone check
1: that out. Design break on YouTube. Awesome channel. So Daniel Clydesdale and Ailey Dunsire, thank you so much for talking to us today on the brand design masters podcast. We hope you'll come back and see us again soon. Yeah, no, thank
2: Thank you very much for having us. Thank you. It was great.
1: If you'd like to help support the brand design masters podcast, please rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Also, if you want to stay up to date on all our content, products courses and live video shows head over to philipvandusen.com muse and sign up for the brand muse newsletter that's where we share all the latest news resources articles books and videos that we recommend to help you build and improve your creative practice personal brand and business that's philipvandusen.com muse m-u-s-e thanks again for listening bye
0: for now